Welcome to the Carrie Question Hour here at the Signal. Isn't this exciting? It is. Yes, it is. It really is. And, and you know, I want a special thanks to Richard over here at the Signal because, um, as Veronica knows, um, last night we did some filming with the news and we've been doing a lot of stuff. We're in the midst right now of the pandemic. Everybody knows it and it's horrible. I mean, the world has changed so dramatically. But before the pandemic, we had another. They were calling it an epidemic. I call it a pandemic even before the coronavirus. Because if you look, if you think about numbers right now, we know how many people we're losing to the coronavirus. And my goodness, I mean, I pray for everyone. I pray for the whole country. I pray for the whole world. But if you think about something else, and, and this is what I call the secret pandemic, even though it's not going to be a secret for much longer. Every hour in this country, we're losing a minimum of eight people, eight people, to an accidental drug overdose. Think that through for a second. Every hour, a minimum of eight people. What would people do if we turned the television on and eight people were getting shot down in the streets every hour? We'd freak out, wouldn't we? Yeah. We'd scream and yell and, and, and it would be insane. Well, why aren't we screaming and yelling? Eight people are dying by accident from an accidental drug overdose every hour. That's a minimum. So let's look at it another way. So we're losing eight people, minimum an hour, by accident. What about throw suicide in the mix? How many people do we believe, do you guys, this is Veronica Luna, welcome to the, to the show. Hi. And uh, Victor, welcome to the show. Thank you. And, but um, if you think about it, what do you guys think, help me with this. So we're losing eight people an hour. What about suicide? How many of people that are actually taking their lives, do you believe, are doing it because of drug or alcohol related situations? Well, of course, everything is a lot more stress, stressful today. Everything is, it, the world is changing as we know it, before our eyes. People don't know where to go, people are losing jobs, businesses are closing, uh, drug use is rising, suicide rates are rising, mm -hmm. you know, and of course they run to what they know best. Of course, of course so you look, at, you look at the eight overdoses and then you, then you put the suicides in the mix. Um, I've been working with people right now in psychiatric facilities and drug rehabs for almost 40 years. Right. You know, I've been clean and sober myself. This Christmas Eve will be 40 years, and for 38 years, I've been. This is all I do. I eat, sleep, and whatever else you want to think about helping people when, when it comes to alcohol, drugs, and mental health. But at least, uh, let's say half the people that are killing themselves are doing it because if something's going on, or they were drunk, or they were loaded that they wouldn't have done if it wasn't for the alcohol or drugs. Yeah, and I also think that society turns a blind eye to what's really going on. Um, it's a hush-hush thing. Well, not anymore. We're not going to allow that. You know why? We, as in our field, we don't want that. We can't. You know, and we have to put the word out there. We have to. <laughs> because if we keep a blind eye, that eight's going to go to 16. Right. And then the suicide levels are going to go up, too. So. Take the, I'm talking about a pandemic, but think this through for a second. Eight people, minimum. Right. Then you add suicide. What about domestic violence? Right. right. What about driving under the influence arrests? What about driving under the influence murders? 
What about robberies and theft? Right. So if we take alcohol and drugs and we really put it in, in, a, in a bucket and we look at how it affects society and people, I think it's pretty close to the same pandemic we already got or worse. Or worse. Right. It's right. huge. And I'll tell you why. They're going to come up with a vaccine one day for the coronavirus. We know that. Are they going to ever come up with a vaccine for substance abuse or alcoholism? We could only wish, but no. Yeah, certainly not so far. So it's, it's, it's just one of those kind of things. And, and it's so bad right now. Let's just talk about this country. One out of every six Americans, one out of every six people will have an alcohol or a drug problem in their lifetimes. One out of every six. So, I mean, that's insane. I was contacted, I do a, a lot of national stuff, so I was contacted by a newspaper magazine from another country a couple months ago wanting me to talk about the substance abuse problem in America. I, mean, yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? What about your country? Well, we're not as bad as you. So, I mean, it's just, it's just like, okay. I mean, I mean, I don't. I'm not going to do the numbers because I, I didn't look it all up. But if you think about the amount of prescriptions for benzos and opioids, this country is in the lead of it all of it. Right. So we're we're in the lead. We want to pill for everything. So one out of every six. How many people, Veronica or Victor, do you know that don't know anybody that's got an issue with alcohol or drugs? Everyone I know. Uh, has contact with someone who's got a problem and it affects uh, people people throughout the country. Yeah, I don't think any, no one's immune to it and I don't know anyone who doesn't know somebody. Alcohol and drugs affects almost everybody right now. Mm -hmm. Because everyone I know knows somebody in trouble. Well, yeah, I've been in the field for about, what, 13 years? So we've, we've seen a, a whole bunch of, you know, Death, it never gets easy, especially the young ones. See this? Right here, I have 40 something pages of, of stuff from my Facebook and my phones that I printed of people who had lost a loved one to drugs. Yeah. And I'm just going to read one, just not names or anything. My daughter died 5 1 2020 from a meth fentanyl overdose. Mm -hmm. She was sober two years before that. That's what it says. She left behind two beautiful daughters in a distraught family. This is what we deal with every day. Right. The reason that um, I want to do this podcast show is because I want to. I want, we need to stop these numbers. You know. And thank goodness that Richard and the Signal um, are brave enough to do a show like this with us. Because if we can save some lives, and, and we're going to, um, it's all worth it. But, but let's take a step back for a minute. Victor, where are you right now? Well, I'm in rehabilitation. Besides the signal. Yes. Sitting here. Where are you? I'm at the signal, but I'm in uh, rehabilitation. Talk about that. Um, it's my fifth time. Um, my problem is uh, alcohol addiction. And, and that's so super important because if you turn the TV on and if they talk about drugs right now, all they're talking about is fentanyl. Mm -hmm. and, and I don't think I ever met anyone that woke up one day and says, I'm going to shoot dope today and overdose. Mm -hmm. That's not how it starts. It starts by breaking contracts. 
by I'll never, remember those I'll nevers? Yeah. We start breaking little contracts. I'll never smoke. Oh, it's only a cigarette. I won't smoke weed. Well, it's only weed. Uh, and, and we just keep breaking contracts till we find ourselves in trouble. But I think one of the most silent and deadly drugs there are right now, especially in the midst of this other pandemic, is alcohol. Mm -hmm. Definitely. If you, I mean, if you go to Costco and all those places, alcohol is off the charts. It's, it's, it, you don't even have any left when it first came. Some of the uh, stocks from some of the alcohols went screaming crazy. Yeah. But go ahead, talk, talk yeah. to us. Well, for me, um, I found that uh, I did start with some of the other drugs, mm -hmm. and I have taken different drugs over time, but uh, those faded away in my life. But alcohol has not been able to uh, fade away in my life. I've not been able to stay away from it, um, as is evidenced by my five stays in rehab. Um, Five states, that's a lot, isn't it? Uh, it's, it's a lot. I feel like it's a lot. What happened? Well, um, as, uh, as I began to not do other things, I still continued to use alcohol. And I progressed um, from, you know, social drinking to drinking more and ultimately to uh, drinking uh, as much as I could pretty much get my hands on it turned out that I couldn't be a drinker who just had a drink or two. And it was something it took me a while to discover. Something I thought I could control, but it controls me. That it, it, uh, it what? It controls me. How does that feel? It doesn't feel good to have someone else, something else control you. So uh, I've, been, I've been clean and sober, like I said earlier, for almost 40 years. And when I remember when I first had a year off of all that stuff, what felt the best is nothing controls me the way that did ever again. Nothing will ever control me that way again. Yeah. So keep, keep talking. Well, it, it did control me, and in the, and in the uh, height of my, my uh, alcohol addiction, my alcoholism, um, it put me into a very dark place. Um, as I said, I've been in rehab five times. I've had over 10 hospital stays related to alcohol, one in which uh, I had to have an operation due to internal bleeding. Actually died in the process. I was say, didn't you lose, almost lose your life yes. forever? I did almost lose my life forever, and uh, lo and behold, three to four weeks later, I was back to alcohol. That's how insidious it was for me. Yeah. And if, if you can just looking at you, um, your your per, your face, your, your your you, you would never be able to tell that you were so messed up on alcohol. Yeah, in the face of addiction, I mean, it's 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 everyone right now. Yeah, there's no logic to the disease. There's no differentiation between people. Uh, if you're an alcoholic, it's eventually going to catch up with you. Yeah, it did with me for the first time in my life. You know, at age 62, um, it got so bad that I started having contact with law enforcement. I was put in behavioral health unit uh, over 15 times so in a three-year period. You were put on a psychiatric hold over 15 times. Yes. How? What? Talk about that for a second. Well, if uh, no matter how hard I tried, I would still go back to drinking, and of course, uh, drinking uh, became no longer uh, anything enjoyable. It went straight into a state of agitation, ultimately blackout, and uh, sometimes near violence.
For people yeah. who don't know what a blackout is, explain that, Veronica. Um, it's, you get to the point where you're drinking so much that you do things not knowingly that you're doing, usually a loved one, a friend, somebody will tell you the next day what you did, correct? Yeah, exactly. And you have no, no idea. You have what, no idea and you don't even believe it. Right, no memory of it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. No, because if you yourself don't believe you're capable of doing, doing something those like things. that. Yeah, it's totally against what your normal human nature is. You turn into a completely different person and not in a good way. I always say alcohol <clears throat> and drugs turns good dreams into nightmares mm -hmm. and makes good people do horrible things. Yeah. It does. And, uh, you know, in that same period of time, I, uh, I uh, was actually uh, arrested three times. Um, never had any issues with law enforcement before, but uh, three times I was arrested. I was, uh, you know, uh, violent. I didn't just let them uh, take me away. I would, you know, fight back. And uh, of course, that's a foolish thing to do. No logic says that you're going to get away from a cop by fighting. Well, you can't win. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. That's like stepping in the ring with Mike Tyson. That's making a comeback. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well. And, Lol. Uh, yeah. And. Uh, even though I had charges pending, it happened more than once. It happened a second time, it even happened a third time, and it became very serious for me in terms of my future life. And uh, You're a professional, aren't you? By trade, what do you do? Yes. Um, I uh, have two degrees in mathematics, but I actually applied that toward the tech industry. Mm -hmm. And so I've been involved in technology, in the private sector, in the educational marketplace as far as working for colleges, running their technology, making changes. Right. So yeah, I've had a, a very productive life in that regard, but all the while, alcohol was creeping up on me and it finally caught up with me. And that's really why I wanted you on the show with us today is because when people think about alcoholism, I think it's changed though. When people used to think about alcoholism and drug addiction, they thought about this guy sitting in the skid row drinking a bottle right. or a hype sitting in an alley shooting a goat. That's not what it no. is. No. Those are people really that have got real grave emotional problems and are, have some psychiatric stuff. But the normal person today, the face of alcoholism is you, is your neighbor, is your kid, is your husband and wife or your boss. Yes, that right. is true. You know, you can't tell by how successful they are, how much money they have, how big a house they live in. Uh, it doesn't really matter. Alcohol will, if you have alcoholism, it's going to show up eventually. So explain to people the obsessive, compulsive nature of the disease of alcoholism. Well, um, for you. For me, it's been... Um, I was told many years ago by a doctor that I should no longer drink, but uh, after a short period of time I started drinking again, and uh, it quickly turned into drinking regularly, and then the alcoholism kicks in where you get this craving that uh, once you start drinking, you can't stop. Um, it's not one drink or two, it's as many as you can get, Right. and then at the end of the night you still want more. One's too many and thousands is not enough. Yeah. So, uh, that makes sense, don't it? Yeah. And there goes the, the whole, you know, story of that. He knows his consequences. He knows what can die. He, he can die. He knows that his health is not good. A doctor just told him, you know, you need to stop drinking. You're going to die. However, the obsession is so 
dark, so deep, so has him on hold that he continues no matter what. You know what the definition of addiction is? What? Do you know what it is? No, I'd like to hear. It's drinking or using regardless of consequences, which could be health, could be legal stuff, could be depression, could be suicidal stuff. Because what happens is we drink or use and we sober up and we feel so bad about whatever it is that we've done that the only thing that's going to make you feel better is drinking or using again. But it goes beyond that for me. It goes beyond that because a lot of people know that they can, they can go to rehab, get help, and then you know your consequences if a re relapse happens, mm -hmm. but it's an obsession of the mind. So the insanity even goes beyond that. Because you know your consequences are negative, right. yes. you know. But the obsession—that's the obsession. I right. need it, and I need it now. Yeah. Right. I can. You, I can walk almost into a rehab room and look at people and know who's going to leave before they even know they're going to leave. Right. By looking in their eyes, right. you could see that look. They're, uh oh, yeah. They're in trouble. So yeah. it's kind of one of those kind of things. You can actually see the look yeah. in their face. Um, you know, five times you've been in rehab, 15 times you've been on cycles. What's different this time? Well, what's different this time is, of course, the consequences are bigger, but that really doesn't stop me. It's obvious because that's, I've had consequences all along. Um, uh, it, the difference is that uh, I'm following a program and having good people around me who are smart about addiction, who can tell me, um, and I will listen now. I didn't always listen before. What? I will listen now. <laughs> Bingo! That's it! Yeah, I think you always had smart people around you. Yeah, well, it, it, I do have the willingness to listen now, and uh, I can't logically, this is not a logical disease, any of these aren't, because if you thought about it, you would not do it, but it's in the mind, and as uh, Veronica said, it's insidious, it's, a, it's an obsession that uh, outweighs everything else in your life. And uh, you can't just uh, do it yourself. You, know, it, it, you can't it, figure it out. It almost took your life. Yeah. It almost took your freedom. Yeah. It almost took your marriage. Yeah. You have, and that's a, you have a wife right now that, that's yeah. with you and loves you and is there for you and is like showing up to all the sessions and in your corner. You have people that really love you. You must really be worth it. Yeah, well, I, I, hope I, I hope yeah. I am, and I hope I can return all the support I've gotten. I mean, uh, if it weren't for the sober people around me, especially my wife, uh, I would have lost everything I have in life by now. And, and that's what the, the world needs to understand, because your loved one is an addict. It doesn't mean that the person with the disease doesn't love you, doesn't care about you, because they honestly do. It's not them choosing some a substance or a drink over you mm -hmm. it's an obsession it's a disease it's an addiction you know people still turn a blind eye to that yes. you know they can't stop you know why, i have why are they doing this to me right i have 15 years of sobriety you know i had to hit my bottom i had to you know and i know what my bottom was and it was that you know i went to rehab one time i got it you know, mm -hmm. I learned I was just sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, some people need to bump their head a little bit more. 
Right, but it's not one of those, they don't love you, you're right. Because they do love their family. They do. I don't, well, I'll tell a little personal story. I, when I had a year and six days sober, my father was dying. When he was 47 years old, alcohol and drugs and cigarettes killed him. And one of the very last things he said to me on his deathbed was, I'm proud of you, and I wish I could have stayed sober with you. And went to those stupid meetings. That's what he said. Yeah. And then he died about two hours later. So I know he loved me, but I know that alcohol took over, and he couldn't control it. You now can control it. You are, you got how many days sober now? I have 88 days. Isn't that really cool? Yes. And that means you never have to go back to a rehab again. You never have to be put on a hold again. You could be there for your family, and, and you're, I mean, you're just a great guy. And what I'm hoping is that you realize that alcohol is not your friend. It might have been at one time, but once it turns on you, it's never your friend again. That's exactly right. Uh, there's no going back to any kind of uh, enjoyment whatsoever. It's just uh, a very negative thing, and why would we choose that? Because we don't really choose it, it chooses us. Right. right. Somebody else has said, uh, why do you guys take back? I, I own rehabs. They said, why do you allow people to come back once, twice, and even three or four times sometimes? And I said, well, who am I to decide when this person's going to be ready? Or what is it going to take? You know, if you look at national averages and stuff, they say majority of people that are getting sober goes to rehab five to seven times. And we're killing that number, by the way. Right. But but it's true. You, I mean, which time is the time? I'm hoping for you this is the time. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that, and I certainly hope so, too. Um, the life I've been living is not a life worth living. But uh, I still want to live life, and so I'm uh, definitely planning to make this work. How do you feel about life now, sober? Oh, I uh, totally enjoy life sober. I look forward to the things that I can do that alcohol kept me away from. Um, I look forward to uh, getting involved in uh, things I'd like to do, as well as getting involved in things that can potentially uh, help other people. Um, you know, because as going through this process, I've learned that I can't do it alone, and so uh, there's a lot of people out there, as you say, a lot of people out there who need help along the way. You know, the sad thing is, is just so many people out there, if you think about one out of every six Americans will have an alcohol or drug problem, and then if you think about the amount of, do the numbers, how many of those people are really going to reach out and get help? Right. It's really slim. Yeah, it's really hard to to take that first step and, and ask somebody for help, you know, uh, because along with it's the pride, uh, you know, it's the shame and the guilt of things they've done while in active addiction and, you know, they can't, that's what keeps them in, in their addiction is not wanting to share the stories and talk about it and the heartache and the family problems and, you know, I lost my job and I lost this and I lost that and it's, you know, we need to put the word out there that mm -hmm. we no. can help them. You can have yeah. a better life, you know. Yep. Well, when you get sober, all those feelings come back. Right. All the things you lost, all the people you hurt, all the bad things that have happened, all the guilt mm -hmm. and shame 
that we've been running from all our lives while we're drinking. The alcohol and the drugs buffered that. It mm -hmm. numbed it. Problem is, it stops. Yes. It stops numbing it, it stops buffering it, and then we've got to face it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's better than, because what, what people would do is you know, they get sober and they go, oh my God, look at all the stuff that I've done, and they go back and drink again. Right. Mm -hmm. And what I always say, you got to forgive yourself. When you forgive yourself, you don't got to drink anymore. And the way to forgive yourself is by knowing you're done. Right. Yeah. If doing something makes you feel bad about yourself, stop doing it. Yeah. And I also think there's still a stigma out there related to uh, alcoholics and people who use drugs. And uh, so they're scared to come forward and get help a lot of times. Of course. And uh, hopefully that uh, people are learning now that, uh, you know, based on the obsession of it, based on the disease related to it, that uh, you're not a bad person to go for help. You're actually a much stronger person if you do go for help. I really believe that when people reach out and say, I need help, people respect that more. Mm -hmm. And I also know that when somebody this is up in, the, in this segment, but I do believe that, uh, and you can help me with this, if, if you think that maybe you have a problem with alcohol or drugs, then what? Then you should try to get some help and figure it out, because if you're thinking it, good chance is you do have a problem. You would not question yourself. You would no. not say to yourself, do I have a problem with alcohol or drugs? No. If you didn't. No, exactly. I, uh, I hated the word alcoholic, um, even though deep down inside, I'm sure I knew that that's what I was or where I was going to end up. I had it inside me, mm -hmm. but I hated it and avoided it and uh, just tried to play it off. But eventually, it comes around and you've got to deal with it. And if you don't deal with it, there's not much left for you in this life. Right. Very good. You know, I'm so very pleased with where you're at right now. I mean, you're a great human being. You've got great things to do in life. You've got 88 days, did you say? Yes. Sober. Mm -hmm. That's just that's just amazing. And you're, you're right as of right now. That's all we got is today. You're a success. Yeah. Thank you, Carrie. Thank you, Veronica. You've been a big part of my sobriety. Very cool. And um, next, we're going to have Lexi and Chad come on in, and um, we're going to talk about them. So hey, thanks for being here. And, and by the way, we're going to do a follow-up with you. Right, so we're watching. You can't it. get away. Hey, hey, every breath you take, every move you make, yeah. we'll be watching. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Dave. Welcome back to the Carrie Question Hour. I'm going to call it the real deal because you know what we talk about here is the real deal. It's real stuff. I want to also thank Victor for being on uh, earlier and um, telling his story. Man, it sure takes a lot of courage to do that, doesn't it? It does, yes. I mean, it, it really it really takes a lot of courage to come up here and talk about yourself. So props to Victor um, right now. Veronica, we have Lexi and Chad with us. Yes, we do. And I, I know <laughs> I, was in a, I was in a mess with Chad because you call him your what? My golden child. Your golden child. Yes, that's my why golden do you call, child. Why do you call him that? Well, um, the gift that I have is, as a counselor is I see them come in so broken. Yeah. Okay, so broken, so to, it, it's heart-wrenching, you know, and um, I also see them grow. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I see them reach the little milestones, and Chad has been with me for some time, mm -hmm. and um, he's just 
reached every goal and continues to do the right thing. And I see the work. I see him pushing no matter what, even if he's having a bad day, good day, because, you know, when you want to use, you're going to use whether it's bad, good, you know, happy, sad, whatever, you know, and he just, no matter what, doesn't pick up. And, you know, I can see he's going to go far. Right. You know, I, I see that and hope that he hit his bottom already. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I can't help but get attached to some of my clients, you know, and um, right. this is one. I think, <laughs> I think what you said is so special because that's, somebody asked me, I'm actually not somebody, I've been asked this many, many, many times, how do you do what you do? For as long as you do and not burn out or lose it and I've been doing this for oh, close to 40 years and you know how many counselors I see get carried out of units go into behavioral health units start using again and, and um, the reason why I think you and I can continue to do things like this without burning out is because we see the bad right we see the good Right. But we also see the successes. We do. And I think that's why we can do what we do as long as we can is because we focus on the good. We focus on the lives that are being saved versus the lives that are not. Correct. Because we can't save everybody. But we're going to try. You know, unfortunately we can't. And I wish we could. Mm -hmm. And I've always said if I had fairy dust to sprinkle on top of everybody's head, I would. Right, right. Um, But I don't have that. But isn't it neat to see somebody come in that's broken and watch the pieces come back together? Yes, it's like my jigsaw puzzle. And I'm watching it come together. And uh, and I see it. I see the puzzle. I see the full picture. And I'm just hoping that I can give them the tools necessary for them to see their future. And to see that it can change and they can have a better life. So... Chad, you want to introduce Chad? This is my golden child, Tad. <laughs> I love. Don't worry, Lexi, you'll be my golden child. Okay? <laughs> don't, don't, don't feel bad. Thank you. I You're it. very welcome. This is one of my babies, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, like I said, he's grown so much since I've had him, mm-hmm. been through so much, and his story is want to be captured and taken to heart and to see the growth that I see now mm-hmm. um, is amazing. Tell us about you, Chad. Tell us what's going on. Tell us why you came to, to action. Tell them, let's hear your story. Uh, well, I went to action because of my family. Um, I didn't want to go. I was stuck in a hospital bed from an OD. From what? An OD. From what? An accidental OD. I no, just checked. Us. Now we do know that every, we've been here almost an hour and minimum of eight people lost their lives already from an accidental overdose. And and that's not including the domestic violence and the drunk driving arrests and the suicides and the insanity out there. That's just an accidental overdose. And you were in a hospital because of what? An accidental overdose. Oh, just checking. (laughs) Go on. I had three seizures. I had two in my house and one um, in the hospital. Your seizures weren't little ones, were they? No, they weren't. They were real intense. I remember your family said that it was the most scary, awful thing they've ever seen. It lasted almost 20 minutes, Mm -hmm. if I'm right. Yeah. Um, I ended up breaking my shoulder in one of them. Um, It dislocated, and then when it was dislocated, it tried to pop in, and it didn't, so I broke the shoulder. Um, That's really why I went to the hospital, because I thought it was just dislocated. Um, 
But when I got the x-ray, the urgent care, they told me to go straight to the, to the ER. Um, and then right before my blood got drawn, I had another seizure that closed my airways, um, turned purple. Yeah. And luckily I was in the ER, so they, they took care of me. I was in the ICU. So if you weren't in the hospital, you, oh, yeah, I would you die. probably would have died. Absolutely. Um, they put me in the ICU. They put me in chemical coma. Uh, my kidneys were failing. Um, so I was under for about a day, day and a half, and I woke up and had surgery two days later on my shoulder. Wow. That's heavy. It is. So go on. Um, then I had my surgery on a Friday, went home Saturday, and I went to action on on the Tuesday, uh, the 23rd of June. You said that you didn't want to go action to rehab. You didn't want to go to rehab. And, and that's something that I kind of want people to hear is most people don't come to rehab because they want to. Right. They come to rehab because they had a life-changing event that rocked their world, or they had people in their worlds that they loved that rocked their world to get them to go to rehab. Or a judge. Or a judge. <laughs> but, yeah, a life-changing event. So it's our job in rehabs to help them understand that this could be their bottom. They don't have to have any more bottoms. Their bottom doesn't have to be like his or hers. This could be enough. Yeah, Chad says he came for his family, but what I can do and hope for as a counselor is that somewhere along the line while they're with me, they see that they're worth it, and then they start doing it for themselves. Exactly. You know? And that's what Chad did. It's kind of like, let us love you until you can love yourself. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Isn't it kind of like that? It is like that. It's exactly like so you had major seizures. One of the seizures, you actually broke your shoulder. You had another seizure. You ended up in intensive care. What were you using? Uh, I was using roxycodones, um, and then the last two weeks, I was mixing the roxies with Xanax. Okay. And how did? How old are you? Twenty-four. How did that happen at such a young age? How did? I mean, what happened? Where did it start? Um, well, I, this is my second time in rehab. Um, I went to another one in Phoenix, and I was there for six months. I got out three weeks after I was drinking again. So you were walking down the street when you were 12, and you looked up into the sky, and a bomb fell into your hands and said, smoke me. <laughs> no? Oh, then tell us how it happened. How did um, it start? It started because I started to lose my self-worth, started to lose my purpose. Um, I was a, a high school athlete, and after high school, I lost that purpose. I lost why I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Right. Um, that brought a lot of pressure on. Um, I felt like I needed to be the man and I needed to be out of the house by 18 and I wasn't. Um, I felt like everyone had known what they wanted to do, went to school, um, and I just had no, no direction. Uh, I was just stuck. So I started to smoke weed um, just because it was what it was and you know it wasn't bad, quote unquote. Right. Um, it was only pot. Yeah, it was only pot. Um, Pot led to ecstasy, acid, shrooms, the party drugs. Um, I did I OD'd on coke my first time. Um, you OD'd on coke the first time? Yeah. Explain. Um, I was at my buddy's house. It was late at night, um, and he had went to bed. And I told him I was leaving, um, but there was coke on the table. Um, there was a whole bag of it, and I didn't know how to dose it, so I just threw a couple rocks on, on a plate and did the whole the whole plate. Um, woke up four hours later. And I was talking to my friends, and 
ended up having another seizure, another first seizure. Even though, I mean, it sounds terrible, you're still lucky. Because I, I was dealing with a 19-year-old kid that used cocaine the first time and had a full-blown heart attack. Mm -hmm. Crawled into his parents, his father's room, pointing at his heart. Ambulance came, they saved his life. He's still got heart problems and he's only, he's in his 20s now. So you're, you, I guess you got lucky. Absolutely. Doesn't sound like it, but I guess you did. Mm -hmm. You're still alive. Absolutely. So you had a seizure the first time you used cocaine. And why would you use again? Um, because it was a fluke. I told myself it was a fluke. Um, I kept telling myself I didn't know how to dose it right. I learned how to dose it and then, yeah. you know, I'll have fun with it. Uh, I never did. How many days sober do you got? Um, I have four months yesterday. No wonder you call me a golden boy. <laughs> and how does that feel? Oh, it's amazing. Um, I mean, I'm still in an outpatient, you know, and sober living, so I don't, you know, I'm not dealing with fully outside. It's kind of like halfway. Right. Um, but my, the feeling inside, the peace I feel, the serenity I feel is amazing. Um, that's what kind of helped me stay after, after doing the actual rehab. Because right. um, I, I just didn't feel like 30 days was enough for me. Um, I wanted to make new habits and make new practices, and, and um, I needed more time to do that. In your family life? Oh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Uh, my mom kind of, she knew she knows when I'm using because I start to distance myself. Um, and now, you know, she comes to Thursday meetings and, and uh, we talk all the time. And, you know, I usually go home the day on the weekends and come back. And right. um, it, it just feels good not to have her stress every time I go to the bathroom because that's where I use um, and get triggered herself. So, If you guys can only know the phone calls we give, because you guys are young. I mean, you're 24 and you're 19, and we'll hear your story in a minute, but if you guys can even know the, the phone calls we get from the parents and how scared they are and how they can't sleep and how they cry themselves to sleep at night, if they're lucky, they fall asleep worrying about ambulances and phone calls and if you're going to be alive or not. Um, right now, I know your mom and your, and your stepdad, right? Yeah. And they're so proud of you, man. They, they are. They walk in the room, don't they glow? They glow, yes. They they, they love being there. Huh? Mm -hmm. They love being there. Yeah. Uh, we become their family, and uh, they're involved. Mm -hmm. um, they share their feelings, thoughts, hopes, and dreams right. um, with Chad. Yeah. You know, and with us. Yeah. But the reason I really wanted you guys on this show with us is because I mean, you are the faces of addiction. You know, and if you, like I said earlier, when you think of addicts or alcoholics, you don't think of victors. You don't think of Lexi's or Chad. You think of those people in the back corner alley, and that's not what it is today. No, it's not. It's like we said, one out of every six Americans will have an alcohol or drug problem. I don't know anyone who doesn't know somebody in trouble right, right now. So uh, congratulations, man. Thanks. Four months yesterday? Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yes. <laughs> that's why we do what we do, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. So, hey. Is that Lexi next to you? It is Lexi. Didn't I see you on the news last night? <laughs> she actually, Lexi did Channel 4 News yesterday and went with me. And, um, and um, wow, what a change. I got to look at some of your Snapchat stuff that you had sent. Mm -hmm. And of you using and you in a bad, bad way. You look so much different. Now, tell us your story. Um, I first got... And, and your name and age first. I'm Lexi Colebrook. I'm 19. Um, 
Today I have 15 days. Yay! Um, it first, I mean, I've, I've always kind of messed around with like party drugs and like drugs here and there. You were walking down the street and it fell into your arms and said, smoke me? No, um, I was 12 the first time I ever smoked weed. It was at a park with like a bunch of like other older friends and like a little mobile home park. Um, and then when I got like to high school, I would like experiment with like molly and like acid and things like that. But um, my addiction really got out of control when I was diagnosed with superior mesenteric artery syndrome, um, which is where my arteries are tangled around my small intestine, and it's incredibly painful. So I would justify using to cope with the pain, and then I became incredibly dependent. I was doing 15 to 20 Percocets a day. I was when people hear that, I mean, people can't even comprehend that because 15 or 20 Percocet would kill most people. Right. That's like overdose city. How did it not kill you? I just had such a high tolerance at that point. I was doing them every four hours. I would wake up and do it. I would go on my break and do it. I, I never wasn't using because that was how I would feel normal at that point. And if you didn't take them. Yeah, it would have affected me more if I didn't take them than it was taking them. People might not understand that, explain Because if I wouldn't take them, I would go into withdrawals. I would not be able to not move. My anxiety would be through the roof. My head would pound. I'd start shaking, sweating. It was just, it wasn't even an option not to use at that point. I couldn't let myself get to that point because I was working and going to school and everything. So at that point, I just had to keep up the habit until I... It's a rough way to live, isn't it? Yeah, very how, expensive. How did you survive that? Um, I managed, I was functioning for the most part, on the outside at least, like it looked like I was. Um, but it definitely became unmanageable um, and it led me to try and attempt suicide, which sent me to the BHU for six days, the most intense unit there. It's a behavioral is, health unit. It's yeah. Where it's actually a psychiatric facility. It was a psych ward. Yeah, yeah, it was horrible. They put me in the most intense unit. Everyone was on like conservative ships, like old and senile, or like like real like people talking to themselves and stuff. Like, and it it was horrendous. Um, and then from there, I begged and begged and begged my parents to find me a rehab because I was. Why? Because it, it really gave me a new appreciation for rehab. I was there. For and, life. Yeah, yeah, and for life. I just have a new perspective on everything. Um, and I really just wanted to get on with my life and get over that whole attempt and start living joyfully and figuring out what to live for and how to live soberly. And so now I'm at Piru and I love it there. <laughs> you love it there? <laughs> <laughs> I love that, don't you? Yes. What do you love about it? Um, I love all the people. people. Everyone there actually cares. Mm -hmm. I've been to three rehabs before, and it always just feels like they're keeping you there for their insurance money. Right. But you guys like actually care. You guys actually want to see everyone succeed. You better succeed. You're gonna yeah. use, use her golden child. You're my golden child. Right? <laughs> you got no choice. <laughs> Besides that, and this always is a question I ask everybody. I mean, listening to your story and seeing your Snapchat stuff. Um, it doesn't look very romantic. It doesn't look sexy. It doesn't look pretty. It doesn't look fun. Why would anybody want to go back to that after you have this? Yeah, it's really important to associate pain with it instead of pleasure. 
It's good. To, it's really important to associate pain with using instead of pleasure with using. Exactly. It's kind of like, think about it like this way. If you're in a relationship with someone for a week, a month, or 10 years, and, and the relationship goes sour, and it's really bad, and you know it's done, and you break up, but then you lay in bed and you start feeling lonely and insecure, and you start remembering the good times, even if it was only three days, and you, and you, and you miss that and want to go running back. Substance abuse is the same thing. If you remember the good, it'll chase you back. You gotta remember the pain. Mm -hmm. You gotta remember the hurt, the fear, the loneliness, the suicidal thoughts. And, and that's the the thing is, we don't teach them to sit in those thoughts. Right. Feel it. Yes. And remember it. Remember it. Don't ever forget it. Yeah, but. but don't sit in it because then you know a lot of people have like, oh well, why do you want to remember you know the mm -hmm. bad? Because you don't want to get there again. Exactly. You don't want to go even further in it. Yeah, exactly. You know, um, it's just like, okay, put it behind it or sweep it under the rug. It doesn't happen. That, that misery way. is will never be, it's always going to be there if you want it. You can always find mm -hmm. that loneliness, misery, suicidal, horrible, whatever you want to call it. It's always there. Drugs will never leave. They've been here from the beginning of time. They'll be here to the end of time. You're worth so much more than that. Thank you. I'm and coming to realize that. You are. And it, what I'm hoping that people realize from some of the stuff that we're doing is alcohol and drugs might have been your friend in the beginning, but they turn on you. Mm -hmm. And once they turn on you, they can never be your friend again. Yeah. It's like that bad relationship that you need to kick to the curb and move on with life. And you, I'm so proud of you. I mean, Thank 19 you. years old to do what she's doing, huh? Right. And, what? you know, it's like, uh, allow your struggles to make you stronger. Don't allow them to define who you are and make you weaker. Thank you. <laughs> so you're 19 years old. What do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> <laughs> you want Veronica's job, right? Yeah. <laughs> counselor and help people. Me and my, um, my dad actually wants me and my uncle to open up a rehab over in Atascadero. Very, they need a rehab in Atascadero. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of people in our rehab from Atascadero. Yeah, and I'd love to be um, like a case manager or a therapist, just so that way I'm still in the program mm -hmm. continuously. So I feel like it would benefit me, and I feel like it would benefit other people because I am able to get sober at such an early age. So maybe I can relate to some of the younger people and try and- Maybe, how about for sure? sure. <laughs> so that's- so you got some real good purpose right now. Mm -hmm. So when you leave rehab, where are you going? I'm going to live with my aunt and my uncle. My uncle is a behavioral health specialist, and he's also a recovering alcoholic. Awesome. So it'll be like my own personal sober living with my little cousins, which will be awesome. Very cool. Um, and we'll be going to meetings. I'll be going to church. He's going to help me get a job. And I'm also going to be going to Cuesta College. Very. So I've got a pretty good plan in place. I'm pretty. I'm very impressed, aren't you? Very. Very cool. Chad, what do you want to be when you grow up? <laughs> well, you're kind of grown up, but... That's a great question. I didn't know what I wanted to be to a little bit later than that. What do you want to be? Uh, I don't know yet. Um, That's fair enough. Yeah. What do you yeah. not want to be? Drug addict. Perfect. Well, you know yeah. what? I don't know that that'll ever change. How about a practicing drug addict? There you go. Because once we're an alcoholic or an addict, there's no turning back. No, there isn't. But... We could substitute and... and we have an addiction of the mind, and uh, it doesn't have to be alcohol and drugs. It could be shopping, sex, gambling, you know, it can be everything. 
so that's why you have to be careful. Uh, addiction is addiction, and we have to be careful we don't substitute one for the other. Exactly. And you guys are killing it, man. You really are. 19, 24 years old, you're killing it. And you can still be at 19 or 24, anything you want to be. You can still do it. You can figure it out and do whatever you want to be, or you can bounce back in and out of rehabs and couches and ICUs and end up dead. And I, I have this sneaky suspicion that you guys are going to be very successful. I know that you both have a purpose, and right now your purpose is to stay sober and clean and uh, live a productive, good life. So, hey, what do you want to say? I'm, I'm, what do you want to, just before we end, what do you want to say to the person out there that's your age or younger that's starting to use drugs? Um, if you're going to use, make sure that you at least stay in control because they definitely sneak up on you. Um, you'll be using them for a week straight and then all of a sudden you're completely dependent and can't even sleep without them. You wake up with like just an immense amount of anxiety and you may not even know what it's from, but your first inclination will be to go and use again. And then it just starts a horrible, horrible pattern. So my advice is don't use, especially opioids, Percocets. Those are really big right now. Fentanyl is in all of them. I've tested um, myself after using, and I have never once had opioids in my system. There's only ever been fentanyl. So everything is cut, and you don't know when the one pill could be your last. I mean. For me, I had a high tolerance, but there's so many people going out with just one pill, or not even just half a pill. You know, people who lost their lives. Mm -hmm. You do, don't you? Yeah. Some of your friends. Mm -hmm. Almost every drug on the streets today is cut with fentanyl. Fentanyl is 50 to 100 times stronger than heroin. When you're using street drugs today, you are playing Russian roulette for mm -hmm. sure. Not 100%. 100% Russian roulette. Almost every dope fiend that we deal with says the same thing. I don't know if that fix was going to be my last or not. Great advice. Thank you. Chad, what do you want to say to the people listening? Uh, you don't have to have your life figured out right now. Um, you know, if you're 18 to 30, you know, you're still young. I know it doesn't feel like it, um, but you can still do a lot with your life, even at 30 years old or 40 years old. Um, don't put so much pressure on yourself to, to compare yourself to people on social media. Um, everyone's life is different. Some people get married at 20, and some people get, mar get married at 40. Um, just live your life. Live what makes you, do what makes you happy. Uh, hang out with the people that make you happy. And um, don't put so much pressure on, on where you think you need to be, because expectations will, will tear you down. Perfect. Thank you for coming on our show. And, uh, Thank you for having we're us. We're going to have you guys back for a, a progress report <laughs> <laughs> pretty soon. And um, hey. I couldn't be more proud of you guys than I am. Yes, Thank Monica? Yes, me too. All Thank right. you. This is Carrie Quashen. Thanks for listening.